Good afternoon. Please take your Bibles and turn together with me to the book of James chapter 1. James chapter 1, and we'll be looking at the first 11 verses. Hear now the living and abiding word of God. James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the 12 tribes in the dispersion, greetings. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness, and let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God, who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given him. But let him ask in faith with no doubting, for the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. For that person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. Let the lowly brother boast in his exaltation and the rich in his humiliation, because like a flower of the grass, he will pass away. For the sun rises with its scorching heat and withers the grass. Its flower falls and its beauty perishes. So also will the rich man fade away in the midst of his pursuits. James is a book of practical Christianity. James is the Proverbs of the New Testament. James is the answer key to a test for Christians. And it is the answer key that so that we can evaluate our lives based on what James has taught in us to see. If we do live out our faith, we are living out Christianity. So this is a test for us, Grace Church, over the next few weeks as we work through James. Our hope and intent as shepherds of Grace Church is that you will test your faith if it is living. I would like for all of us to reflect on this question as we start off. How do I respond to trials? How do I respond to trials? James, says, James gives us the proper answer with which we can base our lives and see. Are we responding to trials in the appropriate biblical manner? How many of you currently or within the last year have been through a trial? The odds are right now, currently, or within the past 6 to 12 months, you had endured a trial. Something that is absolutely unavoidable. Here's what Job said in the book of Job. As sure as sparks fly up a chimney, a man is born for trouble. He also says in chapter 14 verse 1, man who is born of woman is short-lived and full of turmoil. Solomon says, all of man's days is tasked painful and grievous even at night, his mind does not rest. We all endure trials. Nowhere is safe. We are at home. Things are hectic. Trials come. Well, maybe I'll escape to work. So in the car, you go to work, trials come there. Well, maybe I'll get some peace and as I rest and drive home back. So in the car, you get stuck on 11 or 311 or 611 and you are tested. You see, well, maybe this weekend I can escape and go to church. Church at least is a sanctuary. It's called a sanctuary. Maybe even 
there I can find peace. And you come to church and you look around us and we are all in the midst of trials in some form or the other. Nowhere is safe. Jesus dealt with Satan in the wilderness. Then he had to endure the trials presented him by the religious readers and ultimately Judas. Paul had a thorn in the flesh. James in the letter is thinking of a wide range of trials. As we go through the book of James, we will see all kinds of different problems, all kinds of different trials, either addressed directly or simply alluded to. So he talks about the experience of being widowed or orphaned. He talks about the temptation to sin. He talks repeatedly about poverty and wealth. You see there in verses 9 to 11 in chapter 1, he talks about the lowly brother in his economic circumstances. And in verse 10, he talks about this rich man. And he talks about difficulties in relationships that are marked by quarreling and harsh words. He talks about employees that are cheated by their employers. He talks about suffering and sickness. No one can escape trials. We all endure trials. We have all been through trials. And well, we all could say, yes, I've been through a trial. I am currently in a trial. Life is full of trials. But when we ask you to define what a trial is, that's a little bit harder. Because there are all different kinds of trials. Likely, if I were to ask you right now, tell me what a trial is, you would say something to this effect. Well, it is a difficult season in my life. It is something difficult that I have to go through. It is something difficult that tempts me. And it, in that, that tries, it is hurtful, it's painful, it causes me grief. It is a difficult thing. That's a trial, but that falls short. Biblically speaking, if you define the word trial used in our text in James chapter 1, the word for trials, what you find is in two different ways. The first is that it's an attempt to learn the nature or the character of something. And secondly, it's an attempt to make one do something wrong, a temptation or an enticement. And if we combine these two definitions, what you find is that trials are difficult things that tempt you in order to display your character and your nature. There are also difficulties that we endure, but they are not difficulties that are arbitrary. They are not just hard times that we go through. They are specifically those things which are meant to bring out our character and our nature. Or these trials tempt us. Or these trials entice us to do something wrong or to respond wrongly. That's a trial. We often just say that trials are difficulties in our lives. And we fall way too short of what a trial actually is. Because a true trial, and all trials are true trials, are not hardships. But they are hardship with a design. There is a purpose and an intent for the hardship. Because our God is a sovereign God and a providential God and a powerful and omnipotent, omnipresent God who knows all and does all, purposes all and ordains all, God himself is in charge of the trials that we endure. And so the difficulties that we go through are with divine sanction and divine purpose. They are hardships with an intent. They are difficulties with a purpose. And we will learn today that the trials that we go through are the purpose to show and progress us in our sanctification. 
So how do you respond to trials? Do you groan and complain as is so often the case? Do you just try and survive? Or do you thrive? God intends for you as one of his children to thrive in trials, not just survive. So James is writing to the Jews who were dispersed and who have endured suffering and trials already under the Roman Empire. James, a bond servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the 12 tribes who are dispersed abroad, he writes, greetings. And he asks the believers during those days and through the Spirit of God today, how do we respond to trials? And here is the answer key. Check yourselves. Remember that this is a book about living out our faith and what, unlike some of the other book of the scriptures, that James doesn't take very long to introduce himself or the situation, but he immediately jumps into the subject matter at hand. And for our consideration, we'll be looking from verses 2 to verses 11, and there are three major sections in the verses that we've just read that we can break out from this passage. First of all, we, we, we will see verses 2 through 4. That will be our first point. When trials come, by faith, we rejoice and pursue steadfastness. That's the first section, verses 2 through 4. When trials come by faith, we rejoice and pursue steadfastness. And then in the next section, verses 5 through 8, we will see our second point. When trials come, we pray for wisdom and trust in God. When trials come, we pray for wisdom and we trust in God. And then the last thing that we see is in verses 9 through 11 that, we, that deals with two sample trials. This will be our third point. When trials come, the rich and the poor are to respond to God in humility. First, we will look at when trials come by faith, we rejoice and pursue steadfastness we find that there is an appropriate attitude when trials come. Verses 2 through 4, we are given an appropriate attitude when facing trials in our lives. And James says, count it all joy when you made trials of various kinds. Count it joy, gladness. You need to know that in verse 2, when it says count it all joy or consider it all joy, it's a command. This is not an option. It's commanded to us that in the midst of trials and when, when encountering various trials, that we should have joy and gladness. And it is commanded to us because it is not natural for us to do that. It is not natural for us to be joyful in our trials. But gladness or joy in trials, this is supernatural. You would say, well, Pastor Samson, you don't understand. Sometimes it is hard to get out of my bed in the morning. The pain and the grief are unbearable. I know. That's why it is a command. We need to find joy and have joy in our trials. Notice it says, when you encounter, not if you encounter. When you encounter trials, because it is inevitable. And if you haven't yet this year, you will find a trial anytime soon. And it's called various trials, literally multicolored trials. We will find ourselves in some sort of trials, and so we are to be joyful in it. 
That's the command of God. But notice, it is not just an arbitrary command. There is a basis for the joy we are to have in verse 3. It says, for you know, he says the reason why we ought to count it all joy, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness, and let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. Our command to be joyful is not simply arbitrary, it's based on knowledge. What knowledge? Knowledge that the faith that we have will be tested and that will be put under endurance and this produces steadfastness and it has its full effect and it will lead to the perfect result. Perfect, that is the highest standard as a term used for spiritual maturity. Even if you notice, in the start of verse 3, James writes, For you know. Meaning that you already know it. James is not explaining them why you have to count it all trials. Or, let me tell you why you have trials. No. He is saying, I know, you know that when trials come, you know why you can be joyful. Because it makes you perfect and complete and lacking in nothing. Thomas Manton, the Puritan, says, in our consideration lies our misery or our comfort. I'll repeat that. In our consideration lies our misery or our comfort. This, you know, this is something that you can do in the midst of trials. When everything is swirling around you and it's looking chaotic and it seems like that everything is out of control, James is saying that you have control on your emotions and you can choose to be joyful because you know that God is working in you through these trials. That you may be perfect and be complete, lacking in nothing, without blemish, blameless, sanctified. You see, when you encounter a trial in your life, my friends, it is not just some difficulty you're going through, but it has a purpose behind. And the question is, do you know? Do you have the knowledge? Do you know the truth that God is allowing this in your life? Or do you sit in your room, in a corner, in the middle of the night, sleepless, wondering, why is this happening to me? Why me? Why always my family? Why so long this trial? Maybe it is that you are forgetting that these trials will lead you ultimately to your sanctification, to test your faith. We see that in verse 3. For you know that the testing of your faith. Dear brother and sister, are you shocked that God is testing your faith? It's expected when we put our children in school or in athletics or when we are learning music or when we get into work. There are periodic evaluations and assessments tests and drills that test our competence, none of that is a cakewalk. It involves blood and sweat and tears and time and sleepless nights. All of that goes into building something and we accept all of that. We don't have any problem with that when we are giving exams or when we are producing reports in our jobs. No questions asked. 
And when it comes to our faith, why are we surprised when our faith is tested? Oh, we do respond shocked and surprised because often our response is grumbling, moping, whining, complaining, and sulking. But James is calling us not to not think that way, but to know that it is for our good and for our joy. God is sovereign. There is no free-floating molecule or an unknown virus. God is absolutely in control, even our difficulties which you and I endure in this life. But in his sovereignty, allowing those difficulties and trials, he does so with a very clear intent and purpose. And that is so that we can become the men and women who God called us to be. It is for our good. Romans 8 verse 28. All things work together for those who love God and who are called according to his purpose. All things every single thing. It is to produce and to display the character and the nature of our Christianity ultimately for his glory. Remember the definition of trial. You have to wrap your mind around this as this is the basis of this entire chapter. That trials are an attempt to grow us in our character, to test our faith. If a Christian will do a lot for Jesus, but when trials come, he will say, I'm out. I did not sign up for this. The cost of discipleship is too high. I'm out. A fake Christian will do a lot of things, but he will not suffer. But as Christians, we endure. We are given trials specifically so that we might shine the light of Christ through them. And so that God will produce in us more and more of the sanctifying work. Sure, it is suffering. Sure, it is painful. Sure, it is hard. But we can rejoice in it and greatly rejoice in it. It is not that the trial or pain for which we are to be joyful, but what God is working through that. For that, we are to be joyful. Because it's making us whom God wants us to be and it's displaying that faith at the revelation of Jesus Christ. So what is your attitude in trials? What is our attitude? Do we despair? Do we just try to survive? Or do we thrive in joy and gladness? That doesn't make it easy though. I totally understand. Some of you are going through some of the most inconceivable things right now. Relationship nightmares. Unlawful court proceedings. Illnesses and diseases that is life-threatening, joblessness, disobedient children. Some of the most inconceivable trials, some of the most unimaginable things that will break even the strongest of believers. You may say, how do you expect me to have this joy when I'm going through such a difficult time? It is awfully difficult to know that God is so good in this. This is an opportunity God is giving me to display him to be progressed in my sanctification. That sounds great. That sounds wonderful. That's what I want in my life. But it is so hard to go through now to have that kind of perspective. How can I get that perspective? Friends, 
only looking to Jesus. My afflicted brother, my sister, only looking to Jesus. Jesus faced trials of various kinds and he endured. He endured for us. And the Bible says in Christ's life, we find proof for our lives. The author of Hebrew writes, Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witness, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race is set before us. Looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him, endured the cross, despising shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Friends, nothing compares. No form of trial that we endure compares to what Jesus had to go through for our sins. Through the most intense trials, Jesus draws us near and shows us the better reality of his coming glory. Paul says in Romans 8 verse 18, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. God is taking us there, that day, that city, not just making things comfortable for this day. Jesus walked this very same road and it was for the joy that was set before him that he gave his life so that we might not only be saved, but be filled with the Spirit who empowers us and sustains us to anything that we have to face. So we run with endurance. This kind of counting it all joy and this testing of our faith, it produces steadfastness. It produces, it takes the full effect and makes us perfect, complete, and lack in nothing. And then we will come to our next verses and we will look at our second point. But when trials come and we are still struggling to wrap our minds on, around this and we still feel that there is something lacking, when trials come, what we can do? James says, we can pray for wisdom and trust in God. That's our second point. When trials come, we can pray for wisdom and trust in God. You can see that in verses 5 through 8. This is the means of navigating that trial. And this is the means of being able to have that divine perspective. If God is sovereign and we know he is, then he must orchestrate all trials with a purpose and we know he does. Then he is the one place you and I can go for guidance. And better yet, he promises if we ask in faith and are not double-minded, he will actually give that to us. It says in verse 5, let's look at it. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God who gives generously to all without reproach and it will be given him. But let him ask in faith with no doubting for the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. For that person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is double-minded, unstable in all his ways. So another test of our faith is that we will call upon our God for wisdom and guidance. In faith, we will call out to our God. 
Certainly, we should call out to God when we are in need of wisdom, but in this context, here he's specifically talking about the wisdom that is needed, that testing of faith is being used as a gift from God. He's talking about the wisdom that we need to look at the trials and the difficulties and say that, I will count it all joy. And we are asking God, give me wisdom, how I will understand that. And he says, he's a generous God who is not withholding. He is not the one who reproaches or the one who finds fault when we come to him. He will not be like, again, you are here. Again, you want me to help you understand this? He is generous and he gives us generously. We are told and promised that if we go to God for wisdom and if we are not double-minded, he will give us wisdom. This word double-minded literally means being two-souled. It's struggling between one and the other position. The idea here is that you need to ask God in faith in confidence, with our mind on God, and you don't need to have any doubts. The imagery we see here is this wave driven and tossed by the wind that goes to cause more harm than good. He says, if anybody lacks wisdom, let him ask God. That idea there, let him ask, seems very kind of cordial, allowing you to do that. No, this is a command. You are not only commanded to be joyful, but if you have a lack of wisdom, you are commanded to ask. This is interesting. Here, he doesn't say, pray that this trial will be removed. Right? Though there is nothing wrong in asking God to remove the trial, what is interesting is that he says, ask for wisdom. The word for wisdom in Greek is Sophia. Let me give you a proper definition of that. That this is not worldly wisdom. This is not, if anyone lacks wisdom, lacks the means of navigating out of your trial so that you can leave this difficulty. Come to me. Sometimes God does not want you to leave this difficulty. His will for you in your life, in trial, is not for you to escape, but to endure. Be steadfast and be complete. The worldly wisdom says, work is hard, have a weekend getaway, to a beautiful beach on Fujairah. Stressed out with the busyness of life? Escape the paradise with a rejuvenating stay at a plantation villa in Alain. But for Christians, the endurance, the steadfastness brings about what you're going to be. Now tell me, friend, how many times do you pray in a day that God will remove this trial in your life? And how many times do you actually pray to God that God will give you grace to be steadfast and that you would suffer well? Help me to be steadfast. Help me to understand that I am complete in you, lacking in nothing. You've got to understand that trial is God's purpose. And it's actually for your good and his glory. And so you do not pray out of trial. This isn't asking for some clever scheme to navigate through or to escape from difficulty. So we ask for wisdom, the ability to understand and to function accordingly. The ability to understand and to function accordingly. Now that is linked intimately with verses 2 through 4, where understanding plays a key role. 
knowing, understanding. Verses 2, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness and ultimately leading you to your perfection, your completion, your lack of nothing. And so is the ability to understand that divine perspective and then accordingly, so that what is the action that responds to knowledge? We consider it all joy. Do you see how verse 5 and 2 are connected with verses 2 to 4? Here's your action. Here, what it's based on understanding. If you lack that understanding and action, ask God for the understanding so that you can act accordingly. That's wisdom. It's having God's perspective through the trial and rightly responding to it and having the right knowledge and leading to the right response. It is thinking through a trial spiritually, where in the midst of trials, do you think like this? What is God's purpose in this for me? What is God doing in my life? How am I being matured through this? How is he being glorified in me and in my actions? How does God want me to shine the light of Christ through this? How can I glorify God in the midst of this? How do I think typically or Christianly through this? God, give me knowledge. Help me to act appropriately. God, I'm asking for wisdom. And when your focus is on these God questions and spiritual questions, the temporal earthly pains that you're experiencing become secondary. Not that they will go away, but they are no longer the primary concern, which allows us to have joy through and in the situation, joy that you are living as a bond servant to Christ, as a child of God, as a kingdom citizen. James is a practical book, as I told you before. So in verses 9 through 11, he leads us to our third point where he says he applies this to some specific issues. Thirdly, when trials come, the poor and rich respond with humility. James is turning the spotlight in the area where this church is struggling in the area of money. Before we get into the, this text, let me remind you that these are the Jewish believers who have suffered persecution and now are experiencing trials in their lives. Think, think with me for a moment like this. Let's say you have roots in a particular city. Let's say you have grown up here all of your life. This is where your home is. Furthermore, this is where your family business is. And you, your father lived here and his father lived here. It's a history of having this home-based business. And all of your tools are here. All of your machinery is here. Anything that you need to survive is here. And all of your income is wrapped up around this community. And you have this property that is your own. And now you are being persecuted and are forced to leave your home, your business, your customers, your tools, everything that you need to survive. And that's because of your faith. And that leaves you with this primary concern, isn't it? What I am going to eat today? So... You are poor and broke. There are very few of you that have elevated in the society to such an extent where your business is mobile and your customers are not dependent on the single plot of land. There are a few rich among you, but most of you are poor. So all of us here in this church 
are poor, but there are few left that are rich. Wouldn't your wealth be a primary concern? And that was the kind of situation that these Christians were having. James gives us an illustration and applies godly perspective, this divine perspective, spiritual perspective to a very current issue in their lives. And he says in verse 9, let the lowly brother boast in his exaltation. The brother of humble circumstances, the poor one, is to glory, is to take pride in his exaltation. Exaltation in a high position. What position? The position that's found in Christ and Christ alone. Earthly treasures are nothing. You don't have anything compared to who you are in Christ. They are to rejoice in their rich status as the child of God. Trials are not only for those who are of the meager wealth, but for those who are of much wealth. And the rich man who have made it out with wealth, he is warned of his state. He will be humiliated, brought low. Meaning, he says, as in the rest of the verse, that the life is fleeting. And it says in verse 10, And the rich in his humiliation, because like a flower of the grass he will pass away, for the sun rises with its scorching heat and withers the grass, it flowers, falls, and its beauty perishes. So also will the rich man fade away in the midst of his pursuits. So for the rich people, be warned of your pursuits. Don't find your pride and joy and being rich for the riches will fade away. But the danger is that the rich man himself will fade away because of his pursuits. So for the poor brother, don't long to be like the rich man. You know what matters, not the temp temporal circumstances that you're going through, but your position in Christ. So those who love this divine perspective, James says, don't let the temporal finances control your thoughts, your attitudes, your actions. Know that they are temporal. Find your joy in who Christ is. And know that you are to persevere through whatever you're going through. These are the eternal rewards waiting for you. Let the lowly brother boast in his exaltation. Let the poor brother boast in his high place in Christ, where he will one day be seated with Christ in heaven at the marriage supper of the Lamb. That is going to be the best place you want to be. Here on this earth, people pay, the rich pay huge amounts to get the best seat in watching the performances of man. They are called VIP seats and VVIP seats. But for those who are poor and humble, who are poor in the spirit, who do not boast in their riches, who count it all joy, who remain steadfast in their trials, even though when they lack, they do not grumble, but persevere in steadfastness, looking and meditating their identity in Christ, they will be exalted. Verses 12 says, Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial. For when he stood the test, he will receive the crown of life. This crown of life, this seat at the highest place we receive, even though when we have not paid a single penny, even when it has not cost us anything, we will have the best seats in all of creation when we are in Christ. That doesn't make this easy. Discipline is hard. 
trials are hard. We are suffering for a little while, but knowing it will produce righteousness, knowing that it will display our faith, knowing that God is using it to mature us and to show our character, we fight for joy. James is saying to these Christians, your faith will be tested by money if you have little money. Your faith will be tested by that. You will be prone to see your identity as someone who is poor and earthly resources and all the difficulties and the pains that brings. But God wants to lift your sights from that. He wants to say, count it all joy, my brothers and sisters, when you have, live, when you have to live on the little. Because I'm producing endurance in you. Though it is a tough pill to swallow, but if that's tough pill to swallow, we ask God to give wisdom to pursue it in this way. And he will give wisdom that you are a lowly Christian, poor Christian, and you boast in your exaltation, in your riches in Christ. That's what is this text saying. And then he turns to the other man. If you have a lot of money, he says, your faith will be tested by that as well. You will be prone to put your identity in your stuff and have confidence in your earthly resources. But God likewise wants to lift your sights. He wants to say, count it all joy, my brothers and sisters, when you struggle with all the things that the wealth brings you. And it brings its own temptations. It will bring temptations towards greed. It will bring temptations to amass more, to take advantage of others. It will bring temptations for you to forget the goodness of the glory and the beauties of Jesus Christ. So a mature Christian, a complete Christian, a one who is lacking in nothing will say, I'm going to count it all joy knowing that God is producing something in me. He's maturing me. He's perfecting me in some way. He's making me more like Christ. He's growing me. He's building endurance that I might have hope and know that I am on my way to heaven along with these other brothers and sisters. I choose joy and desire God to mold me through it. And when I struggle in that way, I'll pray for wisdom so that I may fully and finally boast in my, not, in, not in my own identity that the world says, but my identity in Christ and what he tells about me. So the outcome of knowing who God is, knowing he has purposed this for us, we are to be joyful. It is commanded. It's not an option. It is commanded, of the, this is from the word of God, given by the Holy Spirit of God, by the will of his Father. It is the written word of God and living word of God that calls us to be joyful and we proceed to live our lives. Here's another reason to be glad. Just as you remember Job, God has chosen you because he is through you revealing your character and your nature. Because he has loved you enough to make you into the man or a woman he wanted you to be. So brothers and sisters, how will you respond to your trials from today? Now that you heard these truths, how will you respond to your trials? Let me pray. Father, we thank you for the book of James in the study which we began this afternoon. And Lord, we are grateful that you challenge us. You test our faith through trials. 
We are as a church enduring lots, Lord. We as members of this church are going through difficult things. But even through that, we are grateful for who you are. We know that you are sovereign and you would not give them to us unless you have purposed them to grow us in our faith and to display our character to this world that gives us eternal rewards. And so for that perspective, and through these trials, Lord, we will be joyful. Thank you for choosing us to endure. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.